0: Um, in our text today, we're, we're in the book of Genesis again, and we've been going through uh, for a while now this this book of beginnings that goes through the lives of these men, of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And currently, we, we are in the life of Joseph, and we just finished, if you guys know from last week, we talked about Joseph having been a slave, being bought by Potiphar, and, and ultimately rising up there. and based on a false accusation, is thrown into prison. In Genesis 40, I titled the message today, Truth and And before we move any further, um, why don't we commit this time to the Lord? Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you again for allowing us to be able to come together as a body of believers. And Father, apart from your Holy Spirit, we cannot understand any of the things that this Holy Book says, and I pray just as Paul prayed that you give us clarity and wisdom and revelation and understanding in the things that we are about to go through, and let these things only be seen in light of your Son and nothing else, that the only possible way for us to even be before your throne and pray to a Father who loves us, who is everlasting, is because of Christ The Son. So, Father, let us remember to to just be reverent of you, towards you, and in all things allow us to be able to glorify you and praise you in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so, again, before we dive into Genesis 40, let's go through quickly what we had talked about in, in the last week. And so, In verse 20 of 39, it says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. In prison for what? A crime that he did not commit. But look in verse 20. It specifically states, Moses does not fail to point out that he was confined where the king's prisoners were. He, it's not just some detail that he randomly puts in, but that is important for the text that we will go be going through today. And in verse 21, it reminds us, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So again, Joseph is raised up to a status of power within the prison. And, and, and just in both instances, where he would again fall, or or rather, he'd be taken from from where he was comfortable. In verse 2 and in verse 21, it is noted, but the Lord was with Joseph, indicating that God had never left him. But here again, we need to understand that Joseph, though high in the status of the prison, was still a prisoner, he wasn't free as free men were in Egypt. He was a prisoner, though of high status, still a prisoner. And, and this is something we need to remember as, as we go through this story in that no one point was ever anything Joseph did before he would ultimately be the second in command of Egypt, that, that everything was done under authority. And this brings us again to the description found in Psalm 105, where it says, his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, that when Joseph was placed in prison, this was the situation he was in. It wasn't like he was brought into prison and immediately he was free. They immediately told him that he could be in charge of all of these inmates. No, he first suffered as a prisoner without having committed the crime. And so what goes on in the mind of somebody who experiences something like that? Well, that brings us to chapter 40. And would you read with me? It says, Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, In the prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now this is why I bring up again the description of Joseph being locked by fetters, being chained by a collar of iron, is that God would sustain Joseph before he would ultimately open up a door for his liberation. And, and make note of the characters that are, that are displayed to us in Genesis 40, it is the cupbearer and the baker. Now don't think that this is just any other baker or any other cupbearer that would be b- before the pharaoh in his throne room, but rather if you look through the, the ancient history, especially in ancient Egypt, there are records of these people labeled cupbearer and baker, that these people existed, but rather that the cupbearer was the chief steward of all of the the foodstuffs within the nation of Egypt. So not just holding the cup for the Pharaoh to take from, but rather he was also in charge of, of the food things to be delivered. And then the baker, not just a baker, not just the person who would make the food of the Pharaoh, but he was in charge of the grain throughout the land that would be produced. And so it would be equivalent to the president putting into prison those that are a part of his staff. That's the equivalent of that. And note that it says, the captain of the guard. Where have we found that description? Potiphar is described as the captain of the guard in the previous chapter, and so, Think think through this with me. The captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of the cupbearer and the baker whom the pharaoh had placed in prison. But didn't Potiphar place Joseph in prison for having committed a crime? And so then why would he put these esteemed people under Joseph? And that's just further indication that the charges that his wife had brought upon Joseph, Potiphar was highly doubtful. And yet Potiphar was of high position. And so why risk his reputation for the sake of a Hebrew slave? And so he would throw Joseph into prison in order to, to save his reputation, the reputation of the captain of the guard. And, and that is the scenario that, that we're placed in as, as we, we go into the rest of this, in that in Genesis 40, the, the, the verses following, it, uh, separated into three parts, and verses five through eight is Joseph's concern, nine through 19 is the interpretation of dreams, and 20 to 23 is the truth of Of his word both Joseph's and God's and again would you read with me as as we go to verse 5 and it says and one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So here's what we need to understand about dreams, first and foremost, in that dream interpretation, the interpretation of dreams was vastly popular in ancient Egypt, in Babylon, that there would be flocks of people who would have dreams and would want them to be interpreted. And so by some 500 years after Joseph's time, there would be a document that would be created even describing what certain symptoms of a dream meant. That's how into the interpretation of dreams these people were. And even in Pharaoh's court, it says in Genesis 41, eight, when this is Pharaoh waking up from his dream, it says, Pharaoh was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men that when Pharaoh had a dream, he had a, a list of people who could come and attempt to interpret, but nobody of them could interpret it. In king's courts, there were people such as, as magicians, wise men, diviners, soothsayers. Even in the time we live in today, there are still people who are fortune tellers, people who, who believe that, that from things that, that happen in your dreams, they try to interpret that as though it was something to relate to your life. But don't Misunderstand me, dreams were used as divine revelation in the Bible. But not all dreams are divine revelation. And that is something very important we need to note, that we cannot assume that every single dream that occurs in the Bible is meant to be divine revelation because there were people in Israel, false prophets in Israel, who would state these dreams of of prosperity, and yet it was only to achieve and gain the popularity that came with it. Both in the Old and the New Testament, certain dreams were were used. Just in this case, uh, later on, we'll be able to understand that that God would use Joseph and use the dreams of these two individuals in the prison in, in order to further his mission, but All the more in the New Testament as well, Joseph, not this Joseph, but the Joseph, the the husband of Mary, or soon to be, is that when Herod was killing babies in in, in where they were, God had had, had appeared, an angel rather, had appeared to, to him in a vision, in a dream rather, and explained to him what was happening, and so they fled to Egypt. And this was another instance of how a dream was used, But go to verse 6. It says, He saw that they were troubled. Joseph. How did we describe him? He was chained by fetters. He had an iron collar around his neck. And now he was placed high above in this prison. And then it says, He saw that they were troubled. Who was troubled? The cupbearer and the baker. So let me ask this of what concern are they to Joseph? Is Joseph not innocent? And these people, under the Pharaoh's rule that he placed them in prison, meaning that they have gone through similar situations. If Joseph were to have been placed in prison and experienced those things, then wouldn't these men have also experienced the the pain that that Joseph had endured? And yet it says in verse 6 that Joseph saw them troubled. In verse 7, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Now why would somebody who has experienced so much trial, especially when they're in a position of power, look to these individuals and, and, and care for them? Didn't, wouldn't, from our point of view, wouldn't Joseph have all the right to just ignore them and tend to them whenever he was required to do so? Because Joseph was sold into slavery. He was cast into prison for a crime he didn't commit. From our point of view, he has all the right to not talk to these people. He has all the right to just avoid them, avoid produce very minimal contact with these people. And yet that's not what Joseph did. He saw that they were downcast. He saw that they were sad, and he cared for them. And he loved them. In John 13, 34 to 35, our Savior, Jesus Christ, describes it in this way. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's nice to read, but you need to understand what he means when he says to love one another. Because in just verses prior to this, Do you understand that when Jesus tells them to love one another, this is when they are in the upper room. That this is when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples after they were bickering who would be the greatest among them in heaven. And when Jesus tells them to love one another, it is a love that is genuine and sacrificial. That you love for the sake of of another because that is what Christ did. Do you know that it is the lowliest person of the household who is supposed to wash the feet of those who are in the room? But Jesus, he's about to be crucified in just under 24 hours and yet the only thing he thinks of in that moment is to humble himself and wash the feet of his disciples. That is sacrificial love displayed by our Savior. And Joseph is not any different from that in that though he experiences pain, suffering, he's able to use that in this case to reach out to to the cupbearer and the baker. You know, he was placed in the forefront of the chain of command, yet he did not perceive it to be something that he could abuse. And rather, Joseph was a servant to those that were placed under him. And all the more for us to be servants to those that that are under us. And in verse 8 of this section, Joseph says, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Again, where does Joseph's willingness to help these people stem from? Wasn't it dreams in the first place that brought him to the position he was now? Wasn't it him boasting his dreams to his brothers and them interpreting it and him saying that he's going to be ruler of them? Wasn't it dreams in the first place that led to the situation that he was in now? But what does he say? Do not interpretations belong to God? That Joseph made sure To mention the hand of God in interpretations, and that it is solely from God that the interpretation of the dream comes, and we see this too in in, in Daniel, who made sure to give credit to the to the interpretation to God. In Daniel 2:28, it says, "But there is God in heaven." This is Daniel speaking, who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. He says, but there is God in heaven. When these two individuals mention the interpretation of a dream, they do not fail to mention God because it is from God that interpretations come from. It's not from what we think or the symbolism we might possibly put into these symbols. No, it's from God and God alone. And that is something we need to understand because in both cases, Joseph and Daniel were under pagan monarchs. Do you understand that that both of these men were not under the Hebrew God, and yet they stood firm in their belief in God and proclaimed him as the truth? That both of these men under these monarchs could only see God as their foremost authority in their lives, that God does not take a back seat because there's someone in authority who goes against what God wishes. And again, Joseph continues to view things in light of the presence of God in his own life Do you understand that with all of the things that Joseph had gone through, for him to come to these two individuals, the people of Pharaoh's court, to say that do not interpretations belong to God, that Joseph did not forget about God despite the suffering that he went through, that he still gave due credit to his creator And that takes us to our second point, the interpretation of dreams. And so it reads, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house. This is... The first part where the, the dream is being told to Joseph. And as he's talking, as the cupbearer is talking, Joseph is listening intently. And in verse 14, he says, Only remember me. The way Joseph speaks is as though the cupbearer was already restored to his position. Why? Because the revelation, the interpretation, rather, of the dream came from God. And so when Joseph interpreted it, he knew full well, he had full confidence in that the interpretation God gave him would come to fruition. But make careful note of this that just because Joseph here spoke as if the cupbearer being raised to position was gonna happen, that is because the interpretation of the dream did not come from him. It came from God. The reason he speaks with confidence is because the interpretation comes from God, Do not confuse this with us claiming what we want God to do. Because that is you taking the place of a sovereign God and deciding for Him what it is possibly that He needs to do. We are not God's counselors. We are not His advisors. God is sovereign and He will do as He pleases. But He does so and that he be glorified in the lives of those that he has called. We need to understand that when Joseph speaks with confidence, it is because the interpretation is from God and God alone. And the way it was even fulfilled wasn't possibly the way that Joseph could have thought it would be, because he would wait an additional two years after the cupbearer was raised back into his position. And so in this situation, was it wrong for Joseph to ask for help? Because aren't we supposed to trust God? Aren't we supposed to fully give ourselves to him and that he will make a path for us? And yet if Joseph were to have remained silent, this was a door that God was opening for him for liberation. This was a door that God was opening for him in order that, that he may leave the prison it was in this moment that God had opened a door so that Joseph could take it if he were to have remained silent then he would have been stuck there but but Joseph understood in, in the interpretation that was given to him by God that this was God allowing an opportunity for him to leave this place And imagine this, that Joseph, as from the beginning, he was chained, and then there's a duration where he would rise up again in the prison. And then he'd come to meet the cupbearer and the baker. So my question is, how come it's only now that Joseph makes a plea for innocence? In verse 14 and 15, how he says that he was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Well, brethren, let me tell you that in light of slander and false charges, love ought to respond patiently. And if we so call ourselves to be Christians, love should be a trait that we practice over and over again. Because In Philippians 2, 7 through 8, in the the New King James Version, it says this, But made himself of no reputation, referring to Christ, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The first line says, But made himself of no reputation, That we, in the face of false accusations and charges, we are a people, we are a society that is so caught up in in holding a reputation and making sure people see us in a light that we want them to see us, and yet the back of it is that we don't want them to see us as a Christian. We have so many more things we place in front of being a Christian rather than being a Christian first. But to Joseph, remember, he came into the prison with no reputation left. He was accused of of, of attempting to rape his master's wife. And so what reputation did he have to uphold in this prison? And yet how did he act? He acted lovingly to the people that were surrounded by him and he held steadfast to God. Because God is so much more important than anything else in this world. But understand this also, that we not need to always be silent in light of accusations and sin. Because Jesus himself, when he was confronted, when people told him about these things, he denied sinning because our savior is perfect. And so we need to discern when to act, but remember that love acts patiently. It is not rash. It is not quick. And so we go on to verse 16, where it says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Let's stop there. So Joseph interprets the dream of the baker, or rather the cupbearer, and Joseph tells the cupbearer that he's going to be raised again in three days, restored to his position, and what does the chief baker do? He was eavesdropping on them, and so he says, well, this guy got a pretty good interpretation of his dream, why don't I take a shot at it? And so he does. He does take a shot at it, and then it goes on, it says, Verse 17, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Looking good so far. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Wow, that's the same one as the cupbearer. From you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. See, understand that the chief baker entertained the thought of having his dream interpreted by Joseph because the cupbearers was so promising. Do you understand that some people treat the word of God in this way? That because they hear it, they feel as though it is something that they can enjoy for such a short time. And yet when they hear the truth, they hear the gospel they try to deny it they only cling to what they liked about it before they start omitting things from the gospel that that aren't supposed to be there in the first place they start trying to make their own gospel in their head believing that we can live as christians and continue to have a love for sin do you understand that when the apostle paul describes sin he says I do the things that I hate, and I don't do the things that I love. When he says that, he's doing the things that he hates. What he hates is sin. He doesn't do the things that he loves. The the things that he loves are things glorifying to God, but do you see that there is a distinction between what he loves and what he hates? He doesn't say he does what he loves in the form of sin. He says he does what he hates. Christian, do you hate sin? Or is it something you delight in? When you sin, does it tear in your heart? Does your heart break? Knowing that for a moment you've broken the joy you had in your salvation. The chief baker wasn't expecting what the truth would be. And in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 to four says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The Bible clearly states that there will be a time when people would rather choose things that would be a delight to their ears. And as Christians, we are to stand firm in the truth. Believe me, Joseph probably would have wanted nothing more than to give the cupbearer and the baker prosperous fortunes, both of them. But his conviction was to pronounce the truth his conviction was to pronounce the truth that he received from the Lord and nothing short of that truth. The baker asked for an interpretation and so he gave it to him. And so when you're presented with the truth, do you attempt to hide parts of it so that you don't have to you know, come face to face of understanding that what you're doing is a sin? You know, let, let me try to dodge this piece of scripture so I'm not convicted about that. Let me, let me try to, you know, do theological gymnastics so that I can have a picture of God that still loves me when I am so far away from how he describes I ought to be. And don't get me wrong, we are not perfect, but it is the direction of our life It is the endurance of our faith that confirms whether or not we are a Christian. Examples of of people who would preach the truth are people like Jeremiah and Isaiah in the New Testament. And we could see that these people, the Israelites, they would love to listen to false prophets speak of riches and prosperity. Those were the ones that were praised. But they despised Jeremiah and Isaiah for preaching the truth. In Galatians 1.10, it says, Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do we live as though we're trying to please men or God? You know, in Joseph's case, if he had given two interpretations that, that were prosperous, wouldn't that mean he'd have more people in the, in the king's court to vouch for him? Wouldn't he have more people to be on his side when he was trying to, to, to be freed from prison? But no, Joseph's conviction, again, is to the truth. He did not give a space, an inch, a centimeter to depart from the truth that God had revealed to him. We should not trade the truth of the gospel for something that is more digestible. Do you know why? Because you cannot change the beauty of the gospel for something that was made from your own machinations. We can't even begin to understand the depth of the love of God. And for us to change even an inkling of the plan of redemption, for you to change any part of that, as Paul says in Galatians, is to submit, is to subscribe to a different gospel. Not that there is one. There is one true gospel. This was the difference between dream interpreters such as Joseph and Daniel. They did not stray away from the truth. They told the message that God had given them, not what people wanted to hear. We need to understand that that when you speak the truth, it's not always what people will want to hear. Especially in the society that we live in today, the truths that we stand for as Christians are widely fought against today. But going back to Galatians, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul was a servant of Christ before he was a man pleaser. That was who he was. And this quote by Alistair Begg says, I am not a salesman. I'm a herald. I have a responsibility to say to you, I implore you through Christ, be reconciled to God. See, I'm not here to, in a sense, to please your ears. My job when I'm up here is to preach to you the gospel and our savior that we are sinners. Do you understand that there is nothing in us that can restore us back to God? Nothing at all. We hate God. We despise God. If there were something to be placed, if, if this was the riches of the world and this were God, we would choose this over and over and over again. We would choose the riches of the world. 100 out of 100 times, if not for God changing us first. You don't need to believe in Jesus to be born again. You need to be born again to believe in Jesus. And yet, we feel as though there's something that we need to do to earn our salvation. Trust me, your salvation... The salvation of the believer was bought and paid for on the cross. On the cross of Christ. On the Mount of Calvary. That was where salvation was paid for. The fullness of our sin placed upon our Savior. And of course Joseph would hold firmly to the truth because what does he say in verse eight? Did he not say, do not interpretations belong to God? So why would God be wrong? Why would God be wrong in his interpretation of the truth? See, the truth isn't so fickle that we need to alter it to fit the narratives of other people. You preach the truth and God will work in the lives of people. It is not us that changes people's hearts. It is not us that change people and and save their souls. It is God who saves souls. It is God who changes people's hearts. And that brings us to our last point, the truth of his word. It says on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Everything that Joseph had told them came to pass. It came to fruition. The cupbearer was restored to his position, and the baker was hanged, just as Joseph had said. The truth of his words, it came about. And so, verse 23, it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now this is just speculation but imagine the situation that when they were taken from prison the cupbearer and the chief baker when they were being pulled out imagine what was going through their mind in that well this you know this this Hebrew guy that was put in charge of me interpreted my dream in this way so so when I come there you know if it's true then th- then that means I'm going to be restored to my position And for the baker, he would be hanged. And so when it happens, when everything happens, just as Joseph told, how how could the cupbearer forget? But imagine this, he was just placed in prison. So if he were to come back and be restored, why would he want to risk losing his position again? And so maybe he would say, Maybe I'll tell him at a later time, you know, when, when, when he's in a better mood, when he's not angry. You know, he's, he's celebrating in his festivities, so I'll just tell him at a later time. And the next day passes by, and again, it's not the time. So he says again, you know, I'll, talk, I'll tell him about Joseph later, maybe later, maybe later. This guy's memory, it took, t- took him two years to remember Joseph. But then it was all according to God's plan. It was according to God's timing, but then still imagine Joseph in the prison. He told him to, to give a good word for him, to the pharaoh. The first day passes by, oh, it's fine. Maybe, you know, it wasn't the right time. Second day passes, oh, you know, maybe maybe he's still waiting weeks, months. And then by the two-year mark, I wonder if Joseph was already depleted of any hope, having been forgotten. And yet, though Joseph was forgotten, in two years' time, he would be remembered. And ultimately, through Joseph's line, as we said last week, the Israelites would be saved, they would be taken to Egypt, and again, the story of Messiah Coming And though Joseph was forgotten, listen church, God does not forget. God remembers us. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this story in Luke with Christ and the thief on the cross. It says one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do You know what the thief says? And we indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. For crimes they committed, they were being crucified. Jesus, for the crime he did not commit, was being crucified. Do you know that for an instance on the cross, that that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus? that all of our sins were poured out on Jesus. And in that time, God's full wrath was bestowed upon our Savior. And God's wrath was displayed on the cross. And yet the extent of his love was in full glory. In that sinners, because of the life of Christ, Now have a way to be reconciled with God. If your relationship with Christ isn't something to be prized, I have no idea what else in this world is worth that. Do you understand that God's justice, proclaiming justice on us, killing us when we sin is just and glorifies Him? Because we have sinned. It is just for God to kill us. But on the cross, he said that in the same way that he is glorified in his justice, he is all the same glorified in his grace. That being reconciled with the sinner Saving him and calling him a son gives him just as much glory. That we've been saved from eternal damnation, eternal flame in hell. That he remembers us. That it says in Hebrews 2, for it was fitting that he I and the children God has given me. Jesus on the right hand of God before him is proclaiming that we are his brothers. That he is rejoicing that we are fellow children of him. That Jesus as our elder brother stands before God and rejoices at us as his children. That the savior that you believe in takes no shame in proclaiming you before God the Father. And so why should we be shameful of proclaiming Christ to the world if his truth is truly something that we cling to? Are we looking for the approval of God or of men? Do we proclaim Christ just as he proclaims this before God the Father. And Hebrews 13, five says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That God does not leave the believer that God does not leave those he has saved, but rather all the more we cling to him in times of difficulty. And In the hymn we sang, prone to wonder, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, that when you become a Christian, listen, your heart is sealed in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven, that that when you are a believer, you've been saved and that your eternity will be forever in the presence of your savior. That we wander from God, yet he has saved us. And our heart belongs to him and him alone. And he never forgets us. He is always with the believer because our God is a good God but he is a just God and all the more a gracious God. Let's pray. Father, I plead with you and pray that those who are here, that you move in their midst, that the things that were said be things that you wanted to tell your people and that remind us of the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have no part in our salvation, but all the more why your plan for it to us is so unimaginable. And yet we cling to it because it is what saves. The very life of Christ on the cross. And so Father, just as Joseph was not afraid to speak the truth, I pray that you convict us of things that are not pleasing to you. But when we go out into the world, let us not shy away from preaching your truth. And just as Christ takes joy in presenting us before God the Father. Let us proclaim Christ with our heads held either high or low in whichever situation we may be, and yet we cling to the truth of Scripture because it is what governs our very lives. And so, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. And again, remind us of Christ and that the only reason we love you is because you first loved us and saved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.